For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. <clears throat> All right, we are live on a Tuesday get-together here on Birds 365. He is John McMullen. I do a little play in black. I'm going with a little red today. Jody McDonald uh, with my partner in crime and Eagles conversation. It's actually maroon, Jody. I've had to look down. It's maroon. But, uh, yeah, same. It's dark. That's all that matters. Um, I don't know that I would call it maroon. I'll, I'll stick with red because uh, maroon is red. No, I'm saying mine. I'm saying. Oh, mine. you're you're maroon. Yeah. No, that's black. No, it's not. I'm telling you. Now it might come across as black. We do There's... stream in color, do we not? Yeah, it's not black. Man, that's a dark maroon. Yeah. There's some oh, black man. stripes. Black stripes, but no. Are there stripes on that? Yeah. Damn, yeah. I must. My vision must be completely going because you look like you're in a uh, black turtleneck. I there's, had to look. I there's had to no look stripes. There's no maroon. I'm like, I, I you were saying think... I'm in maroon and I'm going, yeah. no, it's not really maroon. It's pretty much red. I had to look down because I'm like, I didn't put on a black shirt, did I? I had okay. to look down. Yeah, sorry about that. It's e- either our stream isn't that well colored or this guy's eyes are going, uh, unfortunately, the wrong direction. Uh, however we're clad, we come with information and opinion on the Philadelphia Eagles. We've got two good guests planned for you, Martin Frank and uh, Ian Cummings from the Pro Football Network draft uh, guy. And that's why I do want to start today, J-Mac, is with the draft. There's a couple of uh, Eagle uh, things I, I want to get into as far as veteran players and free agents and the like. But I do want to start with the draft today because... Uh, we, I touched on this yesterday here on the show, and I added another one to the growing list. Um, yesterday, I mentioned that uh, Chad Reuter of the NFL Network put out his latest mock. And I've never had Chad on any of my shows. I know who he is. I've read him on NFL.com, um, but uh, I've never had him as a guest. He had Kyle Hamilton, safety from Notre Dame, falling down to number 15, where the Philadelphia Eagles pick. Mm. If they want him, they wouldn't even have to move up to get him. He would come all the way down to 15, which I know this is one thing you and I agree on. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree. One thing we agree on, Kyle Hamilton is, if not the best player in the draft, one of the best players in the draft. He doesn't play a position that the NFL puts a lot of emphasis on. I think that could be a mistake. Um, I just think the kid is a stone-cold playmaker and would love to see the Eagles get him um, at number 15. And uh, Ruder had him coming down to the Eagles. Tom Fornelli, who's another guy I do know and have had on my show on CBS Sports Radio because he's a uh, CBSSports.com guy. Chad Fornelli has Kyle Hamilton falling to 15 and the Eagles passing on him. Falling to 19 and the Eagles passing on him and going in the 20s to the New England Patriots. I would once again be happy because <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Hamilton is falling in a draft. 
but falls by the birds twice. I would go from ecstatic to the desire to kill myself. And I saw another mock draft, which I've only been looking at for 20 years. Do you ever look at Walter football? Um, not much, but occasionally I have. I know what it is. I think they've been very good at projecting the draft over the last, like I said, 20 years. Uh, they've been in the business a very long period of time, and I, I uh, go there at least uh, leading up to draft season a couple of times a week to see what they're doing. Because uh, to their credit, I don't know if it's the same as uh, our buddy over at Philly Voice does, Jimmy Kemsky, who puts new names in new places every single week just so he could put a report out on all these guys. Never repeats a player. He kind of gave us that tip last week, which is both uh, informative and also annoying because you don't want him to just make picks so he can get information out. Jimmy, the reason you do a mock is here's what I think. Uh, but I don't believe that's what uh, Walter Football is attempting to do. They, too, had Kyle Hamilton dropping down to the birds at number 15. So I've seen three different drafts this week. We know why it's happening. He didn't wow him at his pro day. He ran a relatively slow time. Uh, John, if the Eagles can just sit tight and get Kyle Hamilton, I would basically throw my hands up and go, all right, we're done. Uh, the, the next six picks, we're going to make them. We're going to or however many the Eagles have, uh, they got a bunch of fifths and a bunch of sevens, don't have a six. Uh, I, I'd be okay with it. They could just basically throw the darts at the dartboard from there on out. If they land the best football player in the draft with a pick at number 15, I would be ecstatic. Yeah, I would be too. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I, You said we both understand why it's happening, why why it's coming down in mock drafts. Now, the key is, you know, what does the NFL think? And that's obviously the difficult uh, thing to project. And there's good teams, there's bad teams, good organizations, I should say, bad organizations. Um, you know, you bring up Jimmy Kemsky. Jimmy's the one who brought up a good point that, we, and we, I mean fans and media, probably put more emphasis on measurables than the league does. And even more so now because they have all these advanced measurables, the metrics, you know, the GPS stuff, in-game stuff, which we don't have access to. Um, none of us, nobody even in, forget about fans, nobody in the media has access to that kind of stuff. It'd be nice if they give it to us, but they're not giving it to us. Um, so everybody outside the NFL sphere is looking at the 40 times and going, well, traditionally, if you run like that, the NFL is going to knock you. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case any longer. In other words, I think they're going to put more emphasis on so-called field speed because they have the GPS data to, to compare Kyle Hamilton to whomever, you know, uh, Dax uh, Hill, uh, you know, probably the second best safety and everybody else on the board. Um, so if those numbers are bad on, on top of those other numbers, well, then maybe, yeah, he starts to tumble a little bit. And here's my concern with the Eagles. Look, I think everybody's overthinking this. You know, Jody, what I think of that kid as a player. To me, he's got tremendous instincts, and I say it all the time. From a guy who covered Jack Del Rio, I'm aging myself. 
one of the best nickel linebackers I've ever seen. Not because he could run, just because he was smart. He never had a false step, was always in the right spot. And you can go run a 4-4, but if you're running the wrong way and you got to come back, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. So he's got incredible field instincts. I think he's going to be a tremendous player. But, yeah, there are certain teams that get caught up in these measurables. And, unfortunately, one of those teams tends to be the Philadelphia Eagles. So if it, here's my point, Jody. If he does fall to 15, they're not going to want him. If he does fall to 18, they're not going to want him because they're going to be one of those teams in the measurable category, one of those analytically driven teams that go, well, this kid doesn't measure up to this and you need this to play this position. So I almost hope, and by the way, I do think 11-12, I think it's Washington, Minnesota. I think that's his drop dead spot. Um, I don't think he's falling below that. And I hope he doesn't fall below that for that reason, because if the Eagles get a shot at him, they're going to pass up on him. You think Fornelli's got it right that he could get all the way down into the twenties with the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, because that indicates to me, that situation indicates to me, there is a problem with his movement skills. There is a problem with his, with his running, uh, with his speed. Uh, with his field uh, speed, uh, with the GPS stuff. And if that's the case, the Eagles aren't going to be the team to go old school and say, well, this kid can play. This kid can play. You know, the old, I love the old money ball scene. You know, what does his girlfriend look like? His girlfriend's really pretty. He's got confidence. He can play. They're not going to be that team. They're not going to be that team. They're going to be the analytically advanced team. And they're going to be leading the line of saying, okay, there's problems with this kid. So there's no way that for that reason, and I hope I'm wrong, but for that reason, I think there's no way Kyle Hamilton ends up to the Eagles because if he drops that far, the Eagles will be in the category to say, I don't want that kid. Uh, And if that happens, we'll be screaming and yelling here on the Friday of the uh, day two of the draft. Because it's uh, Kyle Hamilton is a player that I want to see in Eagle Green. And just from a historical note and perspective, um, you, me, everybody else uh, have made a big deal about the fact that Jerry Robinson was the last Philadelphia Eagles first round linebacker draft pick. Hasn't happened since 1979. It has never happened at the safety position. In the history of the Philadelphia Eagles, every draft they've ever run, going back to the Steagles, they have never taken a safety in the first round of a draft. So if you think they'd be bucking a trend by taking the Kobe Dean in the first round, which I would like almost as much as Kyle Hamilton, as big a Hamilton fan as I am, I'm almost as big a Kobe Dean fan. And I think he's just a stone cold playmaker again. Little undersized. Ooh, you got that knock. Well, if you think he's that great, Jody, why don't you take him? Why don't you trade up to get him in the eighth uh, spot? Because you probably don't have to because there is a quote unquote knock out there against him. Yes, he's not your prototypic sized middle linebacker in the NFL. All he does is make plays. My, my, my only question about N'Kobe Dean is that Georgia defense was so good with so many talented players. 
you really have to go into detailed breakdown of the film and see if just everybody else was so good at their job. He just kind of picked up the pieces. That'll happen from time to time. A guy could be so good on a team in college that's so laden with talent, he rides the coattails of the other. I don't believe that's N'Kobe Dean. I think he made some of the other players around him better. Um, but uh, at least if the Eagles took a linebacker, they would have done it before. They've never taken a safety. Uh, you and I both know that in the NFL, over time, people change their opinions on importance of positions. John, there was a time when like running back was the number one pick in the draft. Uh, you had a great running back. You'd take him 1-1 right at the top. That's not happening anymore. Safety is another position that the importance in the minds of the NFL teams has been downgraded, but the Eagles have never, even when safeties were important positions, took a safety in the first round. So I fear your fear is unfortunately in play here that the Eagles could have a chance at Hamilton and pass on it. Yeah, you know, safety's a weird position in this league right now because I do, and I say it, and you just said it, and I'm going to give Ben Solak credit for this because he, when he came on, he mentioned it, and it, and he's right. It is sort of devalued, but it's devalued for rookies. It's not devalued for veterans anymore. They pay veteran safeties who produce. Um, so I went and looked, you know, Jamal Adams, who you're familiar with and hasn't worked out for the Seahawks, but he got paid, man. Harrison Smith got paid. Justin Simmons, Buda Baker, Eddie Jackson, Kevin Bayard, Honey Badger, before he obviously got cut, $14 million. Marcus Williams just got $14 million average annual value in this offseason. All these, these are safeties, and they're getting paid massive, massive money. So they value the position, but they seem to value proven commodities. They don't seem to value the guys coming out for whatever reason. It's so, strange. Yeah, John, that's a great point. Ben made it. You're doubled in down on it. Why? I don't know. It's strange. That, it is. Yeah. It's very strange. If, if you believe that the position itself, because the game has become such a passing game and they ask the safety to do so much and there are so few guys that can do everything that the safety wants. If you can't have the perfect safety, we're not paying for someone. To, if you don't pay the veterans, why wouldn't you pay the rookies? What's the difference between speculating on a rookie, rookie wide receiver and then judging a wide receiver after five years in the league and paying good guys point. like uh, good point. Uh, Maybe, maybe the only thing I could think of is it's catching up. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of lag and maybe safety is going to become more important in the draft because they're paying guys, they're paying veterans. And all of a sudden, you know, then you're going to have the pendulum effect of, well, we got to pay Justin Simmons $16 million a year. Let's go get a cost effective safety. So maybe it's just the little bit of lag in between the valuation of the position going up. I I don't know, but it's strange because normally, you know, highly paid positions, they're well regarded in the draft. It seems to be, okay, we'll pay veteran guys, but we're not going to, we're not going to risk taking a safety in the first round. It is a little bit of, it, it is a little bit strange. Here, but guess what? You've just buoyed my hopes about him dropping down to number 15 and the Eagles being wise enough to take him. Because you, you made some general statements about the Eagles and how they view things analytically. And if there are analytical questions, then they're more often than not going to be our way rather than, uh, than drive straight ahead. 
Another thing I'll say about the Philadelphia Eagles, tell me if I can uh, make this statement. If I'm not, if I'm off base, tell me. The Eagles like to believe they're ahead of the curve. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're obsessed with it. Obsessed with it. Obsessed with it. Thank you very much for confirming. And if you and I are pointing something out that doesn't seem to make sense, that the league may very well be getting wrong, why not the Philadelphia Eagles be the team who go, oh, yeah. We, we're going to pay safeties big money. Look around the league. They're getting $14, 15000000 million. Why don't we get a guy on the cheap because he's a rookie contract and have him in position, plug him in day one. And we've got him for five years before we even have to get into that outrageous money for safeties. Oh, no, we're going to get five great years out of the kid because we think he's ready to step in and play year number one. Maybe the Eagles take him because of that. Maybe it, it'll be like the old Sophie's choice. I say with Jody Mack and last year, you know, because they're, they're very, you know, they, they already lead the curve with the measurables and the analytics and the new age and the GPS stuff. They're already one of those teams. And that's why I veer in the negative direction, because if Kyle Hamilton falls to 15, Jody, that means people have concerns with his ability to run. And if the, the Eagles then will have to say, okay, I see what you're trying to do, spin it, but then they have to go completely 180 from what they typically think, and they're already leading the curve on. They're leading that curve, and everybody's following them, so they're very haughty about that. It would be my estimation of why they would turn away from that particular player. So I hope, for the sake of myself, for the sake of Jody McDonald, for the sake of Birds 365, I hope Kyle Hamilton goes before the Eagles because I don't think they're going to take it. Here's what I'm hanging my hopes on, that if Kyle Hamilton is available, the Eagles are smart enough to take him. Last year, not only did they make their first-round selection, but they moved up to get him two slots from 12 to, uh, from 12 yeah. to 10. He was not the highest uh, factual wide receiver. He wasn't the checks all the boxes wide receiver. As a matter of fact, there were some question marks about Devontae Smith. He wasn't near as fast as his college teammate or Jamar Chase. And oh, by the way, both were off the board. It wasn't like the Eagles had a chance to take him. But he was the third best wide receiver in the on, on paper going into the draft last year. How many people, John, did you and I both have to listen to? A stiff wind comes by, gonna knock this kid over. What yeah, the hell? We're like, taking a 165 well, pound wide receiver. The Eagles flew in the face of conventional thinking with their first round draft pick last year. Maybe they do it again this year. Well, they did to a certain extent at wide receiver, but the Eagles thought they were going to be five, they were going to get one of five players where they were. And the five players they targeted were uh, Kyle Pitts, which was a pipe dream, Jalen Waddell which obviously was not going to happen. Devontae Smith, Patrick Sertain, J.C. Horn. Everybody went. It looked like the Giants were going to take Devontae Smith. They felt there was going to be a big drop-off at that point, and they went up to get him. So I give him credit. But that was their plan. They had identified those particular five players. I think they would have taken Horn first. I think they would have taken Sertain second. I think they – well, Pitts. Pitts first, but that was so – if you come down to the four, I think Devontae was four or four. They would have taken Waddle, and that was the last one. So that was their plan. I mean, you know, where they went outside the box is receiver. Typically, they don't want to take a receiver that high in the draft. They're comfortable 
in the Jalen Rager, Rager range, Nelson Aguilar range. They're comfortable there. Hasn't worked out for them. Get out so of that won. comfort zone. How's it worked for you? So they went typically, if they're that high in the draft, they want to go offensive line, defensive line, or quarterback. Um, so they did go outside their thinking from that perspective. But they liked those five players, and they thought one of them would drop to them. And when it became clear they weren't, they had to make a move. Well, I hope they've got a list of five again this year and Kyle Hamilton's on it and the other four are gone by the time they get to pick number 14. All right, Johnny Mac with John McMullen. We are your Mac and Mac Birds 365 guys. We are getting ready to punch up our first guest. If you follow him on the Delaware News Journal, Martin Frank this morning has his latest, probably not his last, his latest NFL mock draft. And he's got the Eagles. And that's the beauty of mock drafts. You can create any trade you want. It doesn't have to be factual. It's an opinion. I'm going to make a trade. I'm going to get the Eagles a big-time player. They did it last year. Martin's got them trading up even more this year. Our buddy Martin Frank joins us next here on Birds 365. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.
in 16 days until the NFL draft that we're talking about here on 365 with the Macamac guys. Joining us from the Delaware News Journal is our pal Martin Frank. Martin Frank, what are your draft measurables? <laughs> I, I always like guys with high motors. I'm, I'm a big motor guy. No, 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 no. I'm talking about you, not oh, what you no. like. If you were on Martin's a long draft distance right guy, now, what so, would the notes yeah. thereafter say about Martin Frank and his ability on the football field? I, I can run 40 yards. I can yeah. run 40. He, um, he can run a lot farther I, than I can, that. I can jump a little. Jump yeah. a little. My you know. concern, there's some injury concerns for Martin. I only do two back. cones. I don't yeah. do the three-cone drill. I only do okay, two. Okay, two cones. That's good. Coming back yeah. from an injury, too. I'm, I'm a little concerned with that. How are we on that? 100%? We're, we're 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always, you always got to get the medicals, Martin, number one. That's first and foremost, but... It is mock trap season, and you put out your latest Eagles-only mock draft at DelawareOnline.com, so everybody check that out. But All right, so it's time to mark, mock Martin Frank. We'll start at the top. Sure. There's no way the Eagles are getting Sauce Gardner. Come on, even trading up, is there? Jody's Jets are getting Sauce Gardner. It just depends on how it falls, like, you know, Every year, there are quarterbacks who go early in the draft, whether they deserve to or not, and that knocks down, like, good players. I mean, I think the Eagles will go into it, like, identifying, like, five or six guys that they really want to draft, and if one of them falls out of the top 10 and maybe is in their range at, like, 11 or 12, you know, they're going to – they'll trade up to get the guy. And I just think it'll be Sauce Gardner. I mean – you know, some other candidates could be someone like Kyle Hamilton or Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, it just depends. Like if Malik Willis, uh, quarterback, goes in the top 10, if, if Kenny Pickett goes in the top 10, maybe if there's a surprise, one of the other guys goes top 10. I mean, you're knocking good players down, and one of them could possibly get into that 11 to 12 range, and the Eagles could go up and get them. That's, that's kind of what I was basing that on. How high did you have the Eagles having to trade up to get their hands on Swell's Gardner? Um, I had them going up to like 12. Um, I think that's the Vikings pick. Um, I yeah. figure if they're going to get a cornerback, they probably need to get ahead of Houston. They probably need to get ahead of the Ravens at 13 and 14. So, you know, I guessed around 12. And that way you're not giving up a ton either. I mean, you can give up like the extra third round pick you got in the Saints trade. Uh, if you want to do that, or you can give up a third round pick next year, or even that extra second round pick in 2024. Um, so they have, they, they would have some options. I mean, they wouldn't have to give up a ton. I mean, I would consider it similar to what they gave up last year when they went up to get Devonte Smith, they gave up the first round pick and then, you know, third round pick, you know, something like that. I mean, they're not going to give up like two firsts or anything like that. So that's kind of what I was thinking. My biggest argument was you got to go up to 11 then, Martin, because Minnesota's desperate for cornerbacks too. And if Saul spelled that far, they would probably go in that direction. But I, I so let's stay with corner. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're forced to stay at 15 and Sauce Gardner's gone, say Derek, Derek Stingley's gone. Would the Eagles be comfortable, still be comfortable, you think, at that position? Is that position such a need 
that they would have to start looking at Trent McDuffie or something like that at 15. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, it just depends on how, how they set their board as far as cornerbacks are concerned. I mean, it, it seems to me that, you know, Sauce Gardner is probably the best of the bunch. I mean, Stingley's really good. McDuffie's really good. Maybe they're better off. Like if they're staying at 15, maybe there's a better defensive end, you know, a pass rusher or something that's available. Maybe they like one of the wide receivers, you know, at 15. And then you get, you know, maybe use your second round pick on the cornerback or maybe even the third round pick. I mean, it just depends on how they value, like all those, how they rank all those guys that they want. I mean, they probably, like I said before, do have like five or six guys that they really want to draft. And if those guys are not available, then, you know, I mean, if they're not available to the point where they want to trade up to get them, then, you know, maybe they stay where they are. They take one of the players and then they address the position later on. Here's what uh, scares me, Martin, about the upcoming draft and a position that you just touched on. If they don't take a defensive end with their pick, uh, with their first pick, which they very strategically placed themselves in front of the Saints twice. They traded one pick to the Saints, so they're in front of the Saints and the Chargers pick in between, and then they're in front of the Saints again. So they can outmaneuver the Saints for the first pick, but the second pick... Well, no, the Saints actually go before them, depending on how you look at the Saints' two picks. If they don't take a defensive end, and then the Saints do take a defensive end, and it comes back to them, and there's not a defensive end they like on the board, you ready to watch Derek Barnett play 50% of the snaps at defensive end for the Eagles again this year? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the draft. They, They can go in so many different directions. You think you have a great plan, and then all of a sudden, you know, some team does something that you don't expect, and you know, you don't you don't get the guy you want, and you know, you're relying on Derek Barnett. You're hoping Brandon Graham can play, you know, like he did before his injury, and he's not 34 years old. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a risk. It, you could they could end up striking out, and you know, having to go in a different direction, and you know, they don't address defensive end until later in the draft, and at that point, you know, you're kind of out of luck. But if you look at it. You know, they did get the extra first-round pick in 2023, and, if you know, they're looking at it as a multi-year process as far as uh, the draft is concerned and building the team through youth. I mean, maybe just wait until next year. Barnett probably won't be back another year. So you go get a defensive end in 2023, and you roll the dice. Well, let's talk about the trade, Martin, before we get back to your draft and the the, the – the thought process of where the Eagles are, which I always find kind of funny in that fact that, well, look at New Orleans trading with them. The Saints, obviously, and Jody brought up a good point. I kind of snickered that the Eagles made this deal and they're still picking ahead of the Saints twice, which is which is kind of funny. But the Saints think there's some players in this draft. The NFC looks bad as a whole compared to the AFC, certainly after this uh, first couple waves of free agency. Why the heck is everything always about tomorrow with the Philadelphia Eagles? <laughs> why, why, why? I mean, are they that far off? Did, uh, were they, you know, if they thought like this in 2017, Martin, there might not be that Lombardi trophy 
in, in yeah. the lobby of the Novacare complex. I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't do more in the offseason in free agency um, for that view. I mean, you look at the Rams. I mean, they won they won the Super Bowl, and you know they're going like eight years without a first round pick. You know they they went out during the offseason and they added a bunch of guys. I mean, you know they spent as much as they could possibly spend, and they're going for it again. And I guess it's just different ways, you know, different ways to skin a cat. I mean, the Eagles want to build a team that sustains itself for more than a year or two and everything like that. So that's why they're kind of rebuilding their roster through the draft. And, you know, they're accumulating a lot of early round picks and they're hoping they get those right. And, you know, within a couple of years, you know, they got a team that can contend for Super Bowl pretty much, you know, for three or four years, you know, you don't have to, you know, if Jalen Hurts is your quarterback for the next few years, he's still on his rookie contract and you can build a team around him without having to worry about his salary cap hit being so, um, being so cumbersome that, that, you know, you can't do anything else. I mean, they have the space now to do stuff and, and they probably should, and they should start doing stuff. And it's just kind of surprising that they didn't do more this off season than that. You know what I mean? Martin, as I just stated, we got 16 days until the draft. So two weeks, two days before the draft happens, they can be a key two weeks plus when it comes to leverage, who's got the leverage. Still sitting out there, veteran free agents or the teams? The teams are going to sell, hey, listen, here's our offer. If we, if you don't want to sign with us, that's okay. We're just going to fill the need in the draft. The players are thinking, all right, well, they'd rather lock it in than have to sweat the draft. The players they like are on the board, but they're not getting them. They come off just before. It's kind of a uh, depends on which narrative you want to believe who's got the leg up in the leverage. Eagles going to do anything of note over the next 16 days in the free agent market? Will they be able to pull off the fact that they've got the leverage with a player they may be negotiating with and the player thinks one in a hand better than two in a bush? Let me get signed before the draft actually happens. You think they got a free agent uh, signing up their sleeve over the next two weeks? I'm, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, you know, I guess the one guy people link with the Eagles is, is Teron Matthew. Um, who's still out there and everything, but that's a guy like, I think some of those guys might even wait until like June or July, like before training camp, because there's no point in signing now and, and, you know, going through the spring practices, all those veteran guys kind of want to, you know, take that time to relax and recharge and everything like that. So, you know, you look at Steven Nelson. I mean, I think last year he was signed right before training camp started. So, I, I wouldn't be – I wouldn't expect a guy like, you know, Teron Matthew to sign right away. Um, if the, if he's going to sign with the Eagles, I don't think it will happen in the next couple of weeks because I think his market is still pretty high, and, and, I, and I think there's still, like, a couple other teams that are interested in him, which means that, you know, he might get, you know, a decent salary, and I, I don't think the Eagles are willing to pay that at this point. So, you know, the longer he waits, the more it benefits the Eagles. Um, so in that case, I don't think it'll happen before the draft. All right, Martin, let's ship back to your Eagles only mock, DelawareOnline.com. Everybody check it out. He just published it this morning. We have George Karlathis, I like at 18. The Eagles have five picks in the top 101 yeah. 
and I think your your picks all make sense. You get him a receiver in the second round, George Pickens mm-hmm. out of Georgia, mm-hmm. a running back, a big running back in the third round, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M. A lot of people think he might be the best running back in the draft. So that's a devalued position where you can get some significant uh, upside from as far as your offense goes. Um, you got a safety at 101, uh, Baron McKinley from Oregon. All these uh, positions make sense. Um, so if I said to you, you know, there's one position you got to guarantee the Eagles are going to take in those first 101 picks, and one position you got to guarantee to me they're not going to take, which, which would be those particular positions. Ooh. <laughs> let's see well i would say the non-guarantee like they're not going to take a quarterback in those first 101 picks i i just think for this year they're committed to jalen hurts and you know i know there's i've seen stuff where like they were talking to malik willis's coach and everything like that yeah. asking about him and everything i just i think in that case they're just doing their deal due diligence like just in case he drops is but let me let me let me follow up then, Martin. Say it's probably not going to be Malik, but say a Sam Howell or a Matt Corral or a Desmond Ritter dropped at fifty-one. Eagles wouldn't get a little antsy and and try to take one of those guys that late in the draft. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think if if they're going to go for a quarterback, they would do it in twenty twenty three, and and only because Jalen Hurts didn't you know, didn't live up to the expectations this year, didn't improve enough, and they'll have the capital to do it. I mean, why take a quarterback that you wouldn't value as much this year when you can get a better one next year if you need one? And you also have to ask yourself, if you're drafting someone like Howell or Coral or or whomever in, in that second round, you know, you have to ask yourself, is he going to be better than what we have with Jalen Hurts? And if the answer isn't markedly better, then – you're pretty much wasting a draft pick, in my opinion. All right, uh, Martin, I'm going to make a statement, and it's going to turn into a question for you. Okay. The Eagles pick at number 124, that would be in the fourth round. If I tell you before 124, the player will be taken. So if the Eagles want the player, they're going to have to take them in third round at 101, which is a compensatory pick. It is absolutely the tail end of the third round, and it's also the tail end of day two. If I tell you if they want Matt Ariza, the punter from San Diego State, they have to use that pick at 101. He's going to be gone by 124. You can't wait till day three, because I can see it now in the draft rooms after day two is over. The special teams coach gets up there and slams his fist on it. That's it. We have to have a better punter. We're into day three. You guys got to use a pick. And he's going to be taken off the board before the Eagles go up on their fourth round selection. So if they want him, they got to take him at the tail end of round three and pick 101. Eagles got enough outside the box nerve and thinking to do something like that? I don't see it. <laughs> Damn. I, I... I don't think so. I mean, I think like your uh, 
your basic rule of thumb is is never draft a punter or never draft. This a kid kicker. is beyond the basic rule of thumb, Martin. They no kid has ever had a punting season like he had this year in the college yeah, football they go history. To Australia to find a punter, you know, like. That's where they got him from. You, you can How did Aaron Seapots like work out this year? <laughs> oh, they sign. went down under to get Aaron Seapots. Their special teams was a uh, deterrent for this team this year. Aaron Seapots was darn good at the season. He was, was eight games long. Like the yeah. last, the yeah. last two I games. Last two games, he had a couple like uh, thirty-yard punts and lessons. Yeah. And they, they they do play seventeen now, right? Your first like eight games less important than they've ever been before since we're playing seventeen. Yeah, Nick Nick goes for it on fourth down all the time anyway. You don't need a punter. That's true. See, that's why they're not taking a punter. Martin hit on it. The Eagles are one of those teams that are going to go for it every single time when it's plus 50 pretty much, um, and it's fourth and short. So punter, you know, you don't need a punter. But Matt Arrays has got to go to one of those old school guys that's trying to play, trying to flip the field and, trying to play field position, the Eagles, the Eagles, Martin's right. They're not going to take him. They're going to go for it. They're going to go for it. We're going to go for it. So what do you got? You got Matt Areza sitting there. Greatest punter since Ray Guy sitting there. What good is it? It's like having a nice base on your mantle, Jody. Well, yeah, it's nice to look at, but you're not going to use it. Yeah, not if the- you had a defensive dominated team, maybe you go for a punter and stuff like that, but you know, the Eagles have always been about offense and, you know, under Jeffrey well, Lurie see, and everything. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this reverse. I don't know what they're going to do with the defense. I don't know what Jonathan Gannon's going to be this year. I got to protect my flank because I got questions about the defense. And I want to pin the other team back whenever given the chance. If uh, I've got to punt out of my own end zone, I think he can do something like that. That's why I want him. All right. More important than any punter, Martin is an Olympian, and the Eagles have an Olympian, uh, Devin <laughs> Allen, 110-meter star, finished fourth in the Olympics one year, I think finished fifth the other. Um, you know, we're I joke about it a little bit, but you know what this team needs? A kick returner, a punt returner. They were just a disaster in yep. both aspects. <laughs> Could that be the plan for Devin Allen? He he could he could catch the ball at Oregon back in you know 2014, which is a while ago, but nonetheless, yeah. is that the plan? I guess I don't know. Um, if the guy can catch the ball, maybe he's got a chance to get that last wide receiver spot. I mean, they have gone that route with Olympians as a kick returner before yeah, with Jeremy, yeah. Jeremy Bloom, and that didn't really work out. So you would think they would have learned their lesson there. Um, he was a skier, though. This guy could run. Yeah, that's true. But you know, skier, you got to go down pretty fast too, and you know, throw caution to the wind and. You know, you can like fall, um, go over one of them, you know, do a couple flips and everything like that. So that could help you on kick returns, too. It just didn't in his case. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things. You got a 90 man roster going into spring. You uh, you take a few chances here and there. I mean, that's why they, they drafted Jordan Melata um, in the seventh round in 2018. They're like, all right, he's one in 90 guys. If he develops, great. We've got a future stud which of course happened, but if he doesn't, he's like, you know, then, then the Eagles are like, well, you know, he was one of 90 players. He just didn't make the team and we move on. 
And it's probably the same situation here with Devin, Devon Allen. So, you know, if he's a great kick returner and everything, they'll find a place for him and they'll use him. And if not, well, you know, they still have JJ, right? <laughs> not to return count. kicks. Yeah. He, kick can block, he can block, though. He can block. Was the Eagles' uh, return game handicapped by their overall special teams, or did they just not have somebody back there who could make a play? Do you put it on the individuals that were returning kicks and punts, or do you put it more on the special teams coach not getting his special teams unit up to snuff? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, obviously Jalen Rager had his issues in punt returns, especially. Yeah. And, you know, know, it just they never really had a stud back there. Um, you know, after Darren Sproles um, retired as a punt returner, and you know, there aren't that many of those guys, and and. You know, much like punters, you know, punt returns and stuff like that aren't, aren't and kick returns are kind of devalued a little bit too with with the rules and everything. I mean, you know, you're much better off like just, you know, letting the ball go in the end zone and starting at the 25 than, you know, risking a, you know, risking someone come out and you know maybe get tackled at the 10 or 15. I mean, you know, it just it's not the same league that it was when. You know, you had your great kick returners like Devin Hester and, and guys like that. It's just not the same. So, you know, maybe they just didn't realize didn't really invest that much in that position. And and maybe with Devin Allen, they they hit on a guy who could become like a great returner and everything. So, you know, that's why you take a chance. But if not, then you just, you know, let the ball go in the end zone, start at the twenty-five. Yeah, to answer Jody's question from my perspective, I, I'm not blaming Michael Clay. I mean, we saw Jalen Rager. I mean, he was so just uncertain. He would, you know, it, it just lacking confidence. And Martin, you're right. I mean, returners have been devalued because kickoffs, it's so easy to get touchbacks and punters have become so good, at least punters outside of Philadelphia. You don't get many chances to return punts either. But it is nice to have a guy when you do get the opportunity. And nobody's complaining. You mentioned Devin Hester. I always talk about Cordaro Patterson. Nobody's saying to Cordaro, don't take it out. Don't take it out. Everybody's telling Jalen Rager, don't take it out. (laughs) It'd be nice to have a guy uh, who could do something when you do get that rare opportunity. But um, I'll shift it to just an incendiary topic here in Philadelphia, even more than Alec Bohm saying he hates <laughs> it here. Um, I love this place, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I'm with after the mass mandate. I'm with Alec Bohm. I think he was <laughs> talking about the mass mandate. Oh, okay, but we'll we'll talk number eleven and number forty three. You just mentioned Darren Sproles. How dare the Eagles give number eleven to Zach Pascal <laughs> and Kaiser White getting Darren Sproles' number? Are you appalled by that, Martin? <laughs> I'm a little surprised about Sproles' number, but uh, as far as number 11, I, it's time. I mean, you know, you're not going to guy's number. You might as well give it a Pascal. You know, you know he'll be there at least for this year and everything like that. And maybe, you know, he'll do some good things with it. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of surprised they, uh, they gave up. Uh, Sproles' number that quickly, but no, yeah, you know, if Kaiser White is as good as uh, everyone says he is, and he has a good year, and you know, maybe he deserves it. 
here's my thoughts on numbers. John and I talked about this yesterday. Yeah. Uh, when the announcement came out on the return of uh, uh, Kelly Green for the Eagles, I was pumped. John didn't give a flying fart about it. <laughs> numbers, I'm just like John is with Kelly Green. I don't care. If you're going to retire the number, if it's going to be retired and never to be worn again, okay, fine, put it aside. If you're going to give it away at some point, give it away now. Who cares? You moved on. Somebody's got to wear the numbers. Get on with it. So I got no issue with either of those two guys getting numbers this year. Eagles who have come and gone. I'm not saying greats if we're talking about Carson Wentz. And Darren Spolzer is very good. I can't even say great with him. Here's uh, my, my next question for you, Martin. And it has to do with not numbers, but what the Eagles are going to do um, between now and the start of the season when camp opens up. Can they upgrade their roster enough to be put on a level with the Dallas Cowboys in this d- division? Free agency and or draft. Be as optimistic as you want, but try and keep it somewhat realistic. Mesh optimism with realism. Can they get to a point between now and when camp opens up that we say they uh, pulled even with the Dallas Cowboys in this division? It, it depends on how you look at the Cowboys. I mean, are, are they as good as they've been in the past? I don't I mean, think so. I think the Cowboys so, have gone backwards this year. Right. Okay. So um, if you're, if you're going under that premise, I mean, maybe, you know, I mean, yeah, Dak Prescott's still there. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is still there. I mean, his contract is starting to become more of an albatross than a good thing because now they had to, like, lose two of their top – no, three of their top receivers, right? Um, yeah, they lost, they lost uh, Cooper, Cooper, Wilson. Wilson. I, uh, I don't yeah, know if they Cooper lost Wilson. her. Yeah, just All Cooper right, and Wilson. So, I mean, they still have C.D. Lamb and they still have Gallup, but Gallup's coming off uh, torn ACL. I mean – it, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, the same Cowboys teams they've had the last couple of years. And, and those Cowboys teams, you know, they didn't go very far in the playoffs, as we all know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if the Eagles do this right and everything, if they add, I still think they need to add um, a veteran in, in the secondary, um, even if they draft somebody. Uh, yeah, they could they could be. At that level, I mean, you know, if you look at their offense, um, Miles Sanders comes back and has a good year. Hurts improves, like, to where he's completing maybe 65% of his passes. Um, Devontae Smith takes another step up, maybe gets to 12, 1,300 yards receiving. I mean, Goddard's a probably a 1,000-yard receiving kind of guy. You know, maybe Quez Watkins becomes the number two guy, like Sirianni and Howie say it. it it's possible. Um, I mean, it, it could happen. It just, you know, a lot of things have to go right for the Eagles in the draft, and maybe they need one more veteran-type guy in free agency, you know, which will probably come in, like, June or July. Um, in that case, yeah, they could be at the Cowboys level. All right, last one from me, Martin Paulo, uh, Martin Frank at Frank NFL on Twitter, uh, DelawareOnline.com to read all his Eagles coverage. Uh, this morning, Eagles mock draft trade up for a special sauce. That gives you a nice little hint as we talk about. You mentioned uh, better and help in the secondary. They lost Rodney McLeod officially. Um, 
And Steve Nelson had a visit with the Houston Texans uh, yesterday, but more so Rodney Martin um, because of his value off the field as well as both a leader and in the community. How much of a loss do you think Rodney McLeod will be for this team? Um, the leader and the impact in the community, I mean, that that's going to be a big loss. But as far as the player, I mean, I think, I think they can move on and, and get better there. Um, you know, he was, he's what, 31 years old. You know, he's a year removed from another, a second ACL second, surgery yeah. in the last three years and everything. I mean, I think, you know, they obviously made the choice between him and Anthony Harris and felt that Anthony Harris probably had more to offer on the field than, than McLeod did. So um, I think, I think he's replaceable on the field as a player um, not necessarily as a leader, but you still have Brandon Graham, you still have Kelsey, you still have guys like that who can, you know, bring bring the team together. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when they let Malcolm Jenkins go. I mean, yeah, another great leader, a great player for many years. Um, but, you know, I don't think they missed him that much when he went to New Orleans for this past, you know, the past couple of years and everything. I think they were okay without him. And I think they'll be, I think they'll be okay without Rodney McLeod on the field. You know, they might, the leadership part, but, you know, you still have some some pretty decent leaders in the secondary. Slade's obviously a leader. He's still at the top of his game, and Anthony Harris has been around, so he kind of knows the deal as well. I think they'll be okay. All right, last one for me, Martin, has to do with eagle preconceived notions. John likes to tell me all the time, and I think he's right, uh, that Howie Roseman, likes to win every trade he makes on paper that when you evaluate it the day of trade and put it all down on paper that howie rose came out on the long end of it and most of us surely believe that about the deal that he made with the vikings if the eagles have a chance that may not win on paper the way Howie likes it but they can do a significant addition by subtraction our buddy Jeff Mosher from InsideTheBirds.com uh, said today, sources tell him, teams, as in plural, more than one, have inquired about Jalen Rager. Now, I know if they trade him, it doesn't give him any salary cap relief, and it's going to be a day three pick at the earliest, and you're going to have given up on a number one draft pick after only two years and gotten yeah. a three back in return. If anything, how he's going to lose on paper, I still say they should do it. I say they should just move on from Jalen Rager. John just took a pot shot at him, rightfully so, about his special teams play. There's no reason to bring this guy back. Do you have any fear that if the Eagles, first of all, do you think they can or will trade Jalen Rager? And if they do, do you have any fear he'll come back and bite him in the butt, Martin? Um, I, I don't think they're going to trade him. Um, I just think it's, it's a lost cause as far as that's concerned. And, and you just pretty much ride out the rookie contract like they did with Arthago Whiteside. I mean, you know, like you said, nobody's going to give them more than a sixth or seventh round pick. And, and in that case, like, you know, why not at least take a chance that that maybe he figures something out this summer and everything and comes back a better player. I mean, you know, they've, they've already kind of made their move, you know, by getting Zach Pascal. He's the number three guy. So Rager's already the number four guy. I mean, he's not going to like, you know, he's not going to get a whole lot of chances. And if somebody gets hurt, maybe he, you know, maybe this gives him the boost 
he needs to have a decent season, resurrect his career or something. I don't know. I just, I just don't see. I it's hard to give up on a first round pick unless he's a total malcontent, and and I don't, I don't see Rager as being that kind of guy. I mean, he's always been kind of a, a decent character guy, good teammate, and everything. So unless you know the guys like pouting or or getting into trouble like maybe Josh Huff did when he was here. I mean, I just don't see them giving up on him like that. Um, you know, unless somebody's desperate and offers you maybe a day two or like a fourth round pick, but I don't, I don't see that happening. So I think Rager is going to be back and I think they're going to find some kind of role for him. And, you know, maybe he come, maybe he does well, maybe he doesn't, but you know, I think they come to a realization now that as a first-round pick, he's not going to live up to those expectations, and you just deal with it. Whenever we have him on, he stands out like a sore thumb. His information is always good, but maybe more so because he's a nice guy, and that just doesn't fit with the hosts of Birds 365. <laughs> Martin Frank, always a pleasure. Appreciate you coming on board. Uh, we'll get you back up uh, after draft for a little draft review. Thanks for doing it with us today. All right. Always a pleasure. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, Martin, Martin. Frank here with us on Birds 365. No, no, sorry, Martin. Is Jalen Rager a good guy? He just said that, right? Yeah, Jaylen he's a good Rager. guy. No, he's he's not he's not a bad guy. But where where I would say now, there there is a little bit. I I disagree with Martin. There is a little bit of sulking at times with Jalen, but I don't think he's a bad kid. Now. There's some things behind the scenes with 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 his dad and Monte that give the Eagles some headaches because he's always pushing, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, it's his son. He wants his son to do well, um, and he and he's pretty vocal about how the Eagles misuse. You know, think about it. If you're a little league coach, you know, and he got he got the father of some kid. Oh, you got to play my kid. You got to play your kid. And we're like, well, your kid's not doing that well. We got this kid who's playing better you know the parents not going to see that so that's a little bit of a headache but um yeah i i mean look the eagles moved on the first round pick is is the more difficult part because the eagles moved on early from rasul douglas who's doing well in green bay now they moved on early from uh sydney jones i think they'll move on early from jj ortega whiteside this year after the third year um, so Martin's probably right as far as you're not going to give up after the second year. You might give up after the third year, but if they could get a fourth round pick, I, I think they'd do it, even though it's not going to look good for Howie's ledger, as you pointed out, Jody. Uh, I'll play uh football guide here, sixth round pick. You trade, I do it. I do, I do it. too. I don't know if the Eagles do it. They probably get they'd have to get a conditional sixth. Maybe if it could turn in. I give you that conditional sixth, going to a fifth if he plays sixty percent of the snaps. Uh, I want forty. I'm playing Howie. If he plays forty percent of the snaps, well, fifty it is. I went sixty. He went (laughs) forty. Fifty it is. We got a deal. I'll do that deal. I, I, well, Howie sign up. I think he would. I think he would because it's clear, as Martin pointed out, you know, Zach Pascal's the third wide receiver right now. They're going to draft a wide receiver in those first 51 picks. Might be 51. Um, and that guy will immediately right. Which slot means in. Jalen Rager's ahead. wide receiver five. Yeah. Do, do we really need Jalen Rager as wide receiver five here? No. So, I mean, the writing is on the wall. 
if you can get something. You know, another route is to go the bus for bus trade route. In other words, you know, Harry uh, in 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 New England hasn't worked out, and they brought in Devontae Parker. Maybe you trade Jalen Rager for and Keel Harry. Maybe you trade Jalen Rager for the kid in Jacksonville, uh, Chenault. Um, they're looking to move on from him. Um, so maybe, maybe player for player trade, bus for bus, maybe that works out I, somewhere. I like your thought of uh, line of thought and line of uh, thought of process. In the same position's hard. Uh, you're just saying our scheme will better fit their guy. Their scheme will better fit our guy. Uh, a bus for uh, an underachiever. Let's go there because yeah. you're hoping that uh, the guy who shows up here in Philadelphia is not a bus. So an yeah. underachiever for an underachiever. I like the thought process. I think you got to do a different position. Uh, it's possible. Giving, you, you need a wide receiver and you're willing to take a little bit of a off the beaten path shot. We're in need of a safety, a corner. Uh, backup linebacker, something like that guy who, as per his draft status, is underachieved to this point, uh, make an argument that they'll be better in the Jonathan Gannon system. I, I could see something like that happening, but I think it has to be two different positions. I don't think he'd be wide receiver for wide receiver. Yeah, just throwing it out there, something to maul. You could go, I think people forget, you can go to player. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply deployer route because it doesn't happen right. at all very but, rarely but, happens yeah, in a situation where you're trying to dump a first round pick maybe maybe player for player makes a, a little bit more sense and then you know if you end up cutting the guy you get in august hopefully people forget it by that time and say all right we just moved on He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald uh we've got another hour to play here on Birds 365 and Ian Cummings of uh, Pro Football Network going to join us coming up in about 20 minutes. We'll go that much more in-depth on the 2022 draft here on Birds 365. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. 
At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Hour number two on a Tuesday edition of Birds 365. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Thank you for hopping aboard, streaming on in. If you are loyal Jacob Media streamers, you know what we're asking you to do. Johnny Mac? Like, share, and subscribe. We need to get our algorithm up or so, I'm told, uh, whatever that means. Uh, so thank you very much for streaming on in while you're at it. doesn't cost you anything. Just hit the damn like button. It'll help us out. Uh, get Xander a race. So if you like Xander, hit that like button and give us uh, some support here on Birds 365. All right, Johnny Mac, uh, Ian Cummings from the uh, Pro Football Network is going to join us uh, in about 15 minutes from now. And certainly uh, we're going to be talking about the draft with him. The Eagles had, at least the way it was reported yesterday, a couple more pre-draft visits, one of which was uh, the wide receiver uh, Pickens from Georgia, who – I remember seeing him a couple of games his freshman season thinking, damn, this kid's a lock top half of the first round draft pick. He's got a chance to be the first wide receiver off the board. Uh, Injury issues curtailed his career. I was impressed with the fact that he got a torn ACL and came back in season to play in the championship game for Georgia. Didn't make any play. Wasn't a deciding factor is a guy who looks like he's still rehabbing the ACL and how a guy looks in an individual workout with an injury like that, I think could be huge. Uh, They also brought in uh, the pass rusher uh, from Penn State and another undersized pass rusher, uh, D'Angelo Malone. How much do the pre-draft visits mean in your mind? I'm certainly going to put this to Ian when we get him on. You have a grand total of 30. You're scheduled to have seven picks. Eagles have a couple more, so they could use a little extra information. Uh, I've heard people say this is as good misinformation as putting stuff out there for mock draft guys to mislead people leading up to the draft. 
how much stock do you put into the individuals that are invited in at the team's expense to come in and work out for them, show their wares and impact where they're going to fall on the team's draft board? Um, I think um, the positions are always more important uh, to me than the actual players themselves. I think the players themselves are players teams feel they need more information on for whatever reason to this point, they haven't been able to get all the information they want. Uh, could be a host of reasons. You ran out of meetings at the combine or the, the senior bowl or pro day. You didn't get enough time with somebody. Um, and um, as far as, you know, when you get the whole picture, so, because I know when they started to leak out and we had 10 or 11, we're, I think we're at 14. When, when you get the full 30 list or as close as possible as you're going to get, you're going to see those themes. And, you know, one of those themes is going to be edge rusher, as you saw, wide receiver. Um, so you start to look at, all right, they're doing significant homework uh, on particular positions because there's going to be a cluster of them. Uh, and then there's going to be the outlier, Matt Corral, the quarterback. We just we talked a lot about quarterback was in, um, you know, who knows? They wanted to learn something more about him. Um, I'm with Martin. I don't think they're taking a quarterback now, but, you know, I that thinking could change at one point. Your boy Sam Howell at 51, no go? Well, no, that, that's what I was about to say. That thinking could change. If some if one of those guys falls to 51, um, then everything's in play. Because, you know, at 51, there's less of an impetus to play the kid. He's not a first-round pick. You don't have that on, on – you, you do have a quarterback in Jalen Hurts who's not going to be like Carson Wentz, and it's not going to be a shrinking violet in the face right. of competition. That's number two. Number three, you could use an upgrade right away over Reed Sinet as your third quarterback. I mean, so, I mean, it becomes almost a value at that particular position. Now, I don't think any of those guys are going to fall to 51. Um, but I was told for all the and, – and there's been a lot of dismissive talk about this quarterback class. The top five quarterbacks in this class, the Eagles have all graded above where Jalen Hurts was when they took him at 53. So you start talking about value at 51 – but again, I don't think any of them are going to last that long. I think uh, four are probably going to go in the first round, maybe five, because I think Ritter is going to go 32. I think he's the fifth-year option guy. I think the Lions might sit there and take him right there at 32 to get the fifth-year option. And if one doesn't go, I think they're going to be a bridge quarterback, and they're going to go really, really quick on day two. They're going to go in the top five or six picks in day two. Because remember what always happens, Jody, now that they've gone to this format and there's three days, there's always those trades between day two. You know, everybody tries. There's always one team that tries to get up to the top of day two and the top of day three because they see a player they want. Um, and generally it's going to happen at the quarterback position. Um, so, 
you know, I'm at 10%. The Eagles aren't going to take a quarterback. But if one falls to 51, why not? Why not at that point? All right. If I put together a uh, photo array, and you know what I mean by that, right? Uh, you watch enough cop shows to understand what a photo array is, correct? Yeah. If I had in the photo array, um, Devin Allen, Mac McCain, uh, maybe we throw a Tay Gowan in there and the Eagles third string uh, quarterback, would you be able to pick out uh, each individual for the guy? Because I know I can't. You're good at that. Can you can you tell the difference between uh, Reed Stanette and uh, the newest Philadelphia Eagle, former uh, Olympian? I probably know Alan better because I've been looking at his picture the last couple of days. So I probably have him more in the forefront of my mind. It was funny you bring up Tay Gowan because when they made the trade and they brought out all of a sudden, mm. you know, we're still in a semi-pandemic world where we're not in the locker room last year. And they the, the Eagles PR department brought out Tay Gowan. And I forget who we were talking to, but somebody was on the podium. And we're all looking at each other. We're like, who the heck is this? <laughs> you know, they're not going to announce him. And you got to ask questions to a guy you don't know. You don't know who he is. Ultimately, they told us <clears throat> it, was, it was Tay. So everything worked out. But, yeah, you get uh, you get a little worried. You're like, oh, I got nothing. I don't know who this is. Hey, Johnny, I had an uh, intriguing call last night on WIP. Good Eagles fan. Uh, certainly a guy who stays on top of absolutely everything. But for me, little little over-the-top optimistic. He wanted to call in and extol the virtues of Carrie Vincent and Tay Gowing. That they're going to be able to step in and play for the They don't need a Stefan Gilmore. They won't use a first or <laughs> second round pick on a cornerback. Steven Nelson, uh, no, we don't even need him. We've got these young quarterbacks that we traded for, not drafted. Both of those guys, remember, came in trade. So the Eagles had to actually put a value on them above and beyond a draft pick. And I said, maybe. I I got no idea. We saw neither one of those guys play any consequential. They played that last game against Dallas. How'd that go? How many points did the Cowboys score in that last game? Yeah, well, look, I – I appreciate optimism, Jody. I think you got to be optimistic. I'm always amazed with coaches. They're so optimistic. They're so up. They're always, and they have to be, because the last thing you can do is get pessimistic, and especially when things start to go wrong in the season. But, yeah, this Tay Gowan and Kerry Vincent and, I think Howie Roseman mentioned it. Nick Sirianni, we love our young corners. Well, great. Okay, great. Um, They haven't done anything. They haven't proven anything. I do know the Eagles wanted to draft Tay Gowan, but they wanted to draft him in the sixth round. It's not like we're talking about um, a high-level prospect. Uh, Same thing with Kerry Vincent. Um, Maybe they can play. I'll tell you right now, you know, if you had to play a game today, the opposite uh, outside corner to Darius Slay would be Zach McPherson. Are you comfortable with that? Because I'm not. I got to see Zach a little bit. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, Doesn't mean 
some of these kids can't develop. And take Allen's one guy because we've talked a lot about measurables and things like that with Kyle Hamilton. He's he's what the Eagles wanted. Corners really long, really athletic. So I like the roll of the dice, but yeah, if you're gonna hang your hat on Tate Gowan in the NFL, in the modern NFL where people chuck it all over the place. Remember, Steve Delson played pretty darn well last year and knows how to play. Veteran guy's been a starter for I think six years in the NFL. That that is a big uh, drop off from an experience level. If you're just going to go in and say, "Oh, we're going to start Zach McPherson at outside corner or Tay Gowan," and by the way, the Eagles aren't—they're not going to start those kids. No way. They're going to uh, throw them the, into the. The caller I had last night on WIP was very enthusiastic about uh, one of them grabbing the other starting spot across from Darius Slaybeady, the Vincent, or Gowan. I guess the only one we could compare, and, and Marcus Epps, I'll give him credit, before the coaching change, had established himself as a guy that you could put out there out there on the field. Not every down starting safety, but packages. And if you got an injury, you could get to a week with a guy like Marcus Epps. And, and to his credit, I think he's achieved that level. They claimed him from Minnesota wasn't like they used to draft pick on him, but he was a guy who they were taking a shot on. And I guess through practice and what they were able to observe him in the preseason, they said, all right, we're upgrading our opinion of him because you get a guy off the scrap heap. It's kind of a, you got to prove it to us kind of thing. Will those young cornerbacks get that kind of shot in camp this year? We haven't, we haven't really seen, there's no individual from last year that I can point to and say, you know, Sirianni's open-minded. Uh, Gannon's open-minded. As a staff, they're open-minded for a guy to come in who doesn't have a major pedigree to blow them away and earn playing time. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen this year. We just don't have something to tie it to that we've already seen that proves they're that open-minded. What do you think about this staff with guys like Vincent and Gowan, who they traded for, um, but were low draft picks to begin with? They weren't major pieces in a trade. Are they going to be given a legit chance to come in and just shock the world? Um, I think they'll be given. I mean, one of the most important things for those guys is having an off season because they came in uh, on the trade market. They came in late. They didn't have the the OTAs. They didn't have training camp. Not that the Eagles practice that much, but they'll be around from um, the start from day one this time. So, yeah, they'll be given an opportunity, but I think they're going to draft a corner. And corner, and I told you this before, Jody, that's one of the most difficult positions to play with no experience in this league. I mean, it is, and I'm talking about Gardner, and I'm talking about Stingley, and I'm talking about McDuffie. I'm talking about top 15 players in this draft. They're going to have their issues. And Jim Swartz, I love the term startup cost. I say it all the time. There are significant startup costs in the NFL for cornerbacks because they get to be more physical. And this is kind of counterintuitive, but way more physical in college football than pro football. They call everything in pro football. So the minute you get a little bit handsy, here comes the flag. And when the flag comes, when you get beat, 
There's so many great receivers now in the NFL. Fans get down on you. We saw it with Rasul Douglas. Uh, and all of a sudden, Rasul goes somebody at, somewhere else, gets his confidence back, starts to play at a high level. Um, it is a tough, tough position to play, Jody. That's why I always like Jalen Mills. Because oh, Jalen yeah. oh, yeah. got burnt, and guess what? Jalen came right back. Yeah. He had that uh, learning curve that you he were did. talking about. But he worked his way through it and became a pretty damn good corner for the Eagles and is still going pretty good. Yeah, for, uh, and Schwartz would always talk about that's number one job of any corner. You got to forget the last play because you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat. Yeah. And if you start getting down on yourself, it's over. That's why I like Green Goblin when he was here. I thought he had a very short memory, uh, and you have to have that as a corner in this league. All right, he's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. The Mac and Mac Birds 365, guys. More NFL draft coming up. Ian Cummings from uh, the NFL Draft Network. Going to jump Pro Football board. Network. Uh, what I say? Network. NFL Network? Yeah. Pro Football Network with us next here on Birds 365. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right. Just by talking with Brian in my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.
appreciate you streaming on in on Bird Street 65 with McMullen and McDonald. We are adding a third member to the conversation. Uh, he is a uh, draft analyst for the Pro Football Network. Uh, Ian Cummings joins us here on Birds 365. Ian, thank you much for hopping aboard. Uh, before we start individually breaking down guys and who's going to go where, and, uh, just a general mock draft question for you. Now that we're two weeks away, you've done a bunch of these. Do they get harder or easier as you go? Is it easier months out and going, hey, you just saw a bowl game, so you'll move a guy up a little bit. But now you got to deal with information coming in from teams, your sources and the like, uh, guys giving you varying opinions all over the place. Does it get easier or harder? Just generally speaking, something should get easier the more you do it. But why do I get the feeling that it actually gets harder when you get closer to the draft? What has been your draft mock experience this year? Yeah, you're absolutely right. If I can choose both, I guess that would be the answer. I mean, early on, you know, it is a little easier because you have more flexibility. Like you said, you have more information coming later on. I like to think of it as, you know, when I'm doing those mocks in the summer and September, October, that's more experimental. I'm experimenting with different possibilities because we don't really know what's going to happen. We can't be confined. But now you hear information, like you said, prospects take team visits and you start to get a clearer idea of what it's going to be. But you got to factor that in now. So I think it is easier in that as I keep watching tape and rewatching guys, you learn a little bit more about each player and where they fit. But at the same time, there's so much information flying around. You've <laughs> got to factor that in as well. So it gets easier in the sense that you continue to improve your understanding of the players and their strengths and weaknesses, but harder in that there's more information to take into account when you're doing those predictive mocks as opposed to experimental mocks. Yeah, I'm going to uh, jump in, Jody. I'm going to say for me, it gets harder. Because I, I hear all the information coming. And I'm like, oh, man, they don't like this kid. And and that, that changes everything uh, in the mock. And there's this domino effect. So, number one, I want to give you props because you just did your seven-round mock draft. So, anybody who does seven rounds, I want, you're doing God's work there. So, <laughs> everybody check that out at ProFootballNetwork.com. Look, Ian, I can't even get by number one because I'm thinking Jacksonville, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson's the safe choice, but the ceiling there is not nearly as high as a Trayvon Walker, as a Evan Neal. Um, and I'm starting to question myself with the Jaguars. Jaguars at number one overall. I can't even get past number one at this point. Yeah, this this cycle is very interesting in that, you know, in years past, there's always been a guy that you know is going to go number yeah. one, a guy who's head and shoulders above the rest, who deserves to be that pick. I look at Hutchinson. I look at Trayvon Walker. I like both of what they provide in different aspects, but I don't think either one is worth the number one pick, in my opinion. With Trayvon Walker, it's a massive projection because he's very talented. I mean, if you saw the combine results, very athletic, and the power capacity on tape is elite with that straight line bull rush, the long arms, he has that. But the hand usage is very, very much a work in progress. I mean, he basically relies on those two arm extensions, driving his power forward, really can't stack counters yet. So that's a, too much projection for me to take him round, to take him number one overall. You're usually looking for a high upside guy who also has a degree of safety. Hutchinson has that degree of safety, all out motor, never quits on a rep, always has a pass rush plan. But his arms are a little shorter. He can play a little upright, not the most bendy guy. I don't think he has elite bursts off the line. He has very good bursts, but still not quite the high-level athletic ceiling 
that I would want in the number one pick either. So I think, you know, with Hutchinson, you're getting a steady guy, but is it that astronomical ceiling that I would be willing to take number one overall? Not quite. So I have reservations with both guys. And as you said, that kind of makes you double, you know, second guess yourself whenever you're choosing a guy at that point. Let me go to the other guy who has at least been considered at some point. You just mentioned you doing back in the back in the summer. A lot of guys in the summer had uh, Thibodeau as the number one overall pick. And I think there's a small chance that he could sway uh, Jacksonville and end up being the guy. Let me compare him to two guys who play the same position who were the first overall pick in the draft. And that's Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. Which yeah. one is he more like for you? Thibodeau is interesting because I think he's a little more like Clowney. I think with Garrett, I think the first step is very Garrett-esque for sure. The explosiveness is head and shoulders above the rest of the class. And that's one reason why he is still my edge one at this point. You know, there are those character concerns that are kind of floating around. People talking about that as a draft evaluator from the outside. I can't really quantify that. I can't put, you know, my perspective on that because I haven't met the guy in person. So I don't want to jump to conclusions there. But looking at the first step, it's elite. He covers an insane amount of ground with that first step. So the explosiveness, very much Garrett-esque. I don't think he has the elite bend and torso flexibility that Garrett does. I do think he has some torso flexibility, but his hips can lock up at the apex sometimes. He can't always roll through his rushes with that. So in that sense, I think the length, the power capacity, that's more Clowney-esque. Where Clowney a lot of times just barrels forward with that burst and that length and that power capacity is enough for him to get disruption at times. Thibodeau definitely has that power capacity, that speed to power where he can use that. Not the diverse, varied rusher that Garrett is at this point. I think Garrett had a little more athletic upside with his frame coming out because he was a bigger dude and still tested the way he did. Thibodeau is a little lighter. Um, but I do think Thibodeau, you know, the length, the speed to power, he uses that very well and kind of flashes the ability to stack moves. So I'd say he, he's kind of mixed a little bit of both of them, but I won't go as far to say that that's his comp. Uh, I do think that there's some work for him to do before he reaches that point as a prospect. But the first step alone, I mean, the one thing that you really want your edge rushers to have is that elite explosiveness off the line so you can get displacement early and you can do so much off of that when you're working against offensive tackles. So just having that alone really increases his ceiling and makes me you know, willing to invest in him the most among these other guys. I don't think he's the level of Chase Young or Miles Garrett, but definitely still a very strong prospect because of that. And want to talk about the edge rusher class as a whole because we're in Philadelphia. That's a natural need for the Eagles at this point. Um, they start at 15. They have the two first-round picks. So, you know, understanding uh, David Ajaba is going to fall a little bit because, uh, obviously, of the Achilles injury. So you have that group, that top five group. We talked about Walker, Hutchinson. You just mentioned Thibodeau. Then you have Jermaine Johnson. You have George Karloftis. How many of those top five guys could you see going off the board by 14? Are the Eagles even going to have a, an opportunity at an edge rusher, or is there at least the potential that all those guys could be gone because it's a yeah. premium position? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the premium position. I think the positions that have the heightened value, especially in the modern NFL – are positions that impact the passer directly. And on the, on the offensive side of the ball, that's offensive tackle, offensive line. On the defensive side, that's the edge rusher coming on ball every snap, pressuring that quarterback. So it's very important to have a premier edge rusher. I think Walker and Hutchinson, we can just cross off right now because they're not getting out of the top 
10, maybe not even top five, right? So that's kind of the conversation stops there. With Thibodeau, it's interesting, you know, with the character, how teams view that. I know he's been meeting with teams, so that's where they're going to get that information and whether they decide they want to invest in him. But, you know, there's a chance he could fall. I think for me, his floor is Atlanta. I think if he gets to number eight, Atlanta has to take him because he's a potential blue chip talent at a massive position of need for them. So I can't see him getting the 14. Jermaine Johnson is an interesting one. I don't see him getting there either. I think of all these guys, he might be the safest prospect. And he's actually pretty underrated. He's in my top 10, personally, around 6'5", 254 with 34-inch arms. And he's a very good athlete, too. He tested very well. But on tape as well, you know, he shows, I think, the most advanced hand usage out of all these guys in this class. He's actually got pretty good bend, pretty good ankle flexion around the corner. And he can use those hands to capitalize on that and really win around the edge. So, And on top of that, he's a very strong run defender. So taking all that into account, the high floor, the high ceiling with Jermaine Johnson, I think there's a chance he could go higher than Thibodeau. We'll see. But with the uncertainty around Thibodeau, you know, Johnson is such a solid player that, you know, I think if you're investing in an edge rusher, the, the safety and the upside that he provides, that dual-sided effect, is really hard to pass up. So I don't see him dropping either. Karloftis, I think, has the best chance of getting there. There's a chance that he goes higher. Um, I know he tested very well, had a 38-inch vert with his strong frame is very impressive. He doesn't always play up to that explosiveness off the line. I'd like him to see him play up to that a little bit more. But you talk about power. This dude has it. I mean, he can blast guys back. Very good at surging into the torso. Has really fast, heavy hands, violent hands. And I love that about his game. I do think of these guys, he has the likeliest chance. There is a decent chance that all five could be gone. But, you know, looking at all the positional needs that are on the board for a lot of teams, I do think there's a chance that, you know, I think the first four definitely go in the top ten. After that, it gets a little dicey. Maybe you have a guy like Carl off this ball. Ian, listening to you uh, break down the DEs, I'm very uh, interested in your take on a player that is not as high-valued a position, and that would be safety, and that would be Mr. Hamilton from Notre Dame. Um, There are mocks all over the place now that have him dropping down past the top 10, past the top 12, maybe sitting there at 15 when the Eagles come up, as a guy who, by just listening to you, I know you have a uh, high value on what you saw on tape, but you also threw a couple measurables in there. So you're you're trying to touch on both ends of it. It seems like some questions are coming up about Kyle Hamilton's measurables. If you look at the tape, I don't know how you question him. He's unquestionably the best uh, safety in this draft. And I am so uh, up on the player that I think he could become the best safety in football. Give me your Kyle Hamilton scouting report. Where you think he's going to end up going in the draft? Where should he go in the draft? Yeah, so, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. He's still a phenomenal player for me. I do think that the gap isn't as large between him and the next safeties off the board, but that's more of a nod to the other safeties, who I think are very talented as well. Uh, you look at guys like Lewis Seen and Daxon Hill, and I'll get to them in a minute, but they're both very talented players with very underrated tape and their consistency. But moving to Hamilton, obviously ran a four five nine at the NFL Combine. You, you, you hear me throwing out numbers. You know, I like to incorporate both because, you know, the tape is the most important thing. But the numbers kind of like it, it goes hand in hand because the player's speed, athleticism, their size, it does dictate their play style and how they play and their role that they have. So it kind of goes hand in hand. So I like to incorporate both. But looking at Hamilton, 6'4", 220, 33 inch arms. Obviously, the size is generational. I mean, you rarely see a safety with this kind of size. And he ran a 4.59. To me, that's not very, you know, that's not something that I 
that I, you know, it's, it doesn't scare me too much because if you're a safety, especially Kyle Hamilton and especially in Gannon's scheme, playing a lot of cover two, you know, playing in the slot, maybe potentially rotating down there is that big slot. You know, very rarely are you going to be in that single high covering the entire field if you're Hamilton. I think that's not where you want to put him because I do think there are times when, especially when he's in the slot, you know, going up against quicker receivers where he can struggle a little bit to gather himself and kind of carry up speed against those quicker guys. But I don't want him in that role. Where I want him is too high big slot, Buffalo nickel, you know, rotate him between those spots. And he can be a very effective player because his explosiveness is top tier. I mean, I've, I've always been of the mind that explosiveness is more important for safeties. I mean, you look at Justin Simmons, all pro for the Broncos, very good example, ran a four, six, one at the NFL combine, and he's one of the best safeties in the game. So it's one of those things you don't need top end speed. You can compensate with your instincts, with your high football IQ and with your explosiveness to accelerate quickly out of those transitions and match guys upfield. So I think Hamilton has that again. I wouldn't love him in single high, but I don't think he's liability there either. He's shown that he has some range on the back end. Again, I think that Lewis seen, has a little bit more, and he's a player that I absolutely love. But with these top three safeties, look at Hamilton, Scene, and Daxon Hill. I think they're all very different players with equally exciting projections. And with Hamilton, it's just the size, the explosiveness, the high football IQ. That all plays into him being a tremendously versatile and I think high floor prospect with an equally high ceiling. So if he's there for the Eagles, I think looking at what he can provide in that too high setting, but also the versatility, it's enough for me to take him as well. I wouldn't rule out Scene, and maybe if you take another guy at 15, maybe get seen at 18. But uh, the bottom line is I think the safeties, especially the top three, the big three at the top of this class, all very talented players. All right. We're always talking about quarterback here in Philadelphia, Ian Cummings. And I I did take a peek at your seven-round mock draft. Everybody should go to profootballnetwork.com, read that. Um, you got an interesting guy, number one, going in – uh, the first quarterback to go in your draft. And he's a guy I think a lot of NFL people think is the most polished product coming out. And it's not Kenny Pickett. It's Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. But overall, how many quarterbacks do you think are going to go in the first round? And if you take that top five, so generally most people think Pickett, Malik Willis, um, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, the fifth. How how late do you think that prospect goes? Yeah, it's an interesting question, you know, how many go in round one, because as we've said, this class is, I, I don't like to use the word bad. I think it is a little more uncertain than previous classes. You look at, you know, last year, everyone knew Trevor Lawrence was going number one. Everyone knew Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, they were going up there. Even Justin Fields was a highly regarded prospect. This year, there's not that level of certainty with these guys, and that can be a little scary. I do think the QB tax at the end of the day is something that drives the value up because you look at teams that need a QB, you know, you, you seldom have those opportunities to take a guy. So if you have a chance, I look at teams like the Panthers, obviously in that mock draft, the Falcons of a guy they really like falls to them, although they might pass on a guy and wait until 2023. The Seahawks, Drew Locke is not precluding me from taking a QB there either. So there's a lot of teams that could potentially pick a QB, even the Steelers, if someone falls to them, I don't see them trading up. But if a guy falls to them, they don't have to give up extra capital. That's a situation where maybe you buy low on that guy. So you don't have to spend as much and you still get a potential starting quarterback, right? So it's all about the value equation and how it plays in. But, you know, looking at the sheer value of the quarterback position, that's something that will drive these guys up for me. You look at Ritter, you know, on Pickett especially, I feel like those are two guys that have experience, have the ability to go through progressions with Pickett to the safety manipulation. He's shown he can use his eyes to open up parts of the field. Obviously a very valuable skill. 
there are some red flags with each of them. I think with Ritter, the mechanics still pretty, you know, inconsistent at this point in his career after being a four-year starter, that does scare me a little bit, but he's intelligent. He's athletic. He's a high character guy. Feels like a guy that's going to go a lot earlier than people expect just off of that alone. And with Pickett too, he can go off script. He has some athleticism. He can throw off platform and maintain velocity in those situations. Uh, so there is, there are things to like, and I think that's enough where, you know, if teams, conduct the interviews and like what they hear from these guys and kind of get an in-person look, then maybe they're willing to take him a little bit higher because you think he has that upside. Again, it's an uncertain class, but for me, the QB tax is always a defining factor in kind of driving the value up for these guys. And my opinion is that there will be at least six Georgia Bulldogs taken off that defense in the first two rounds of this draft. There's a reason why they were the best defensive football this past year in the college season. They got players. But some of them had to benefit from their teammates around them and maybe rode some coattails. And there's also the possibility that someone comes out of this group underrated because they had such great teammates. Who's the most overrated defensive player to be drafted out of Georgia this year? Who's going to be the underrated player? on the defensive side from the, uh, for the Bulldogs? That's a great question. That's a great question. I'll start with, um, you know, tr- probably Trayvon Walker. And this isn't a slight to Trayvon Walker, but again, I don't think he's worth the number one overall pick. Uh, you look at how raw he is on tape with his hand usage. Again, they really used him. I, the term that I like to use is ice pick, you know, just anywhere across the line, just st- stunting at one tech, three tech, even wide nine, seven. You know, he really moved around to every alignment. He's got that straight line power where he can be valuable in a lot of different places, but creating on his own with that hand usage and capitalizing on displacement around the apex, very little instances of that occurring on tape. So if you're looking for him as an edge rusher, a guy that you can put on the edge and kind of start, you know, in a, in a consistent role, I'm not sure how I feel about him early on. So the number one overall pick, his value is so inflated that for me, while I do very much like the upside, that's kind of where I'm looking at when I go with overrated first. I'd also say, you know, I would mention Jordan Davis, although I don't think in his role, I don't think he's overrated. He is a phenomenal two gapper. You put him at the, at the fulcrum of the line, let him free up, free up the three techs to rush one-on-one. So I love that, but I do think, you know, him as a nose tackle round one might be a little high and plus Travis Jones from Connecticut, another two gap or another nose tackle. Ooh, who you that, might be able- that's John guy. You just put a smile on John's face. Yeah. I think you put, you take him in round two. I honestly think that's better value than Jordan Davis in round one. I think Jordan Davis is a phenomenal talent. The athleticism at the NFL combine was eye popping, but I don't think it shows up on tape all the time, or he doesn't know how to channel it effectively at this point. Travis Jones has comparable athleticism. I think he has more pass rushing upside at that nose tackle role. So if you can get him in round two, you know, I, I like the value better there. So those are a couple. If I had to pick overrated, those would be my prime candidates. Underrated, uh, I mentioned him earlier, but the safety, Lewis Seen, is I think the one of the most underrated pro- prospects in this draft. Uh, he's around 6'2", 199 pounds, 32-inch arms, so a long cor- safety. And you look at Kyle Hamilton, you know, every safety pales in comparison to Kyle Hamilton in regards to size, but Lewis Seen is actually above average with his size. And you look at him, you know, he's always revered for – coming downhill and laying big hits, the physical safety. That's definitely a part of his game. He's phenomenal in run support, coming downhill and making those plays. But, you know, you look at a lot of times with safety evaluation, a lot of the best reps are the quietest ones where you're in too high, you're managing space, you're kind of aligning your hips with routes and matching those patterns and making sure that the quarterback is not going to test you, not going to throw your way. And I look at Lewis Seen 
And I think he can be that safety blanket on the back end. There are so many examples on tape where he is low in his stance. He's flipping his hips. He's very, he's a very easy mover with great twitch and throttle control can match guys in that deep third and really erase routes up top. But then he's got the range as well. The explosiveness out of his breaks to close on the ball, make plays on the ball. I think he can improve his ball tracking a little bit, but he's an intelligent safety with very good processing ability with very good explosiveness and closing speed and the upside with his length as well. You know, I think he's a player who he gets revered for the big hits, but he's much more than that. I think he can be a very solid safety. I actually, I probably like the fit with the Eagles best for him because you already have Avante Maddox in the slot, put Lewisine at too high, let him go to single high. I think he's one of the best safeties in this class at single high if you need him there. The, the bread and butter of modern NFL defenses is, yeah, you have a base alignment, but you have to be versatile and match what offenses are giving you with your personnel. And I think Lewis Seen is one of the best in this class at doing that because he can go in the big slot, too high, single high, really wherever you need him to go. And so I think with the length, the athleticism, the intelligence, for me personally, he's a first-round safety. And right now he's getting mocked around, you know, early round two. You know, I think he goes late round one, early round two. That feels like his range right now. But I think he could be one of the steals of the draft because he's a very good player. All right, Ian, you just talked about the safeties. You mentioned Devontae Maddox. The Eagles are also set with Darius Slay outside, but they need a compliment. Uh, Steven Nelson, a free agent. Um, cornerbacks. Uh, I think Sauce Gardner, most people have him number one on their boards. There's Derek Stingley. Also, Trent McDuffie. What, what do you think about Trent McDuffie specifically? Because I think he might be the most uh, logical for the Eagles because I think the other two are going to be off the board. Yeah, Trent McDuffie is an interesting player. I'm a big fan of the tape. I think that in a lot of phases, he provides value. One of the most impressive plays actually wasn't even in coverage. I remember it was uh, across the field. It was an outside zone run to the left, and he reads it pretty quickly, streaks across the field with his 4-4 speed, and makes the tackle as the runner is turning upfield. So you know like you know how fast you have to be to catch up to a guy as he's turning upfield and then force a fumble as well. So he got that peanut punch in there. So he's a very good enforcer against the run, very good utility there. But in coverage as well, I mean, the fluidity, the short area twitch and ability to match receivers, uh, he's a little smaller. Again, the wingspan is very small, I think sub 30 inch arms. And that's a threshold that might knock him away for some teams. We know some teams prefer longer, more physical corners. And I don't see McDuffie filling that role, but he has very high football intelligence. He uh, transferred to St. John Bosco in high school and immediately picked up slot capabilities, which the slot, it's a different discipline. You got to, you know, some players need to, you know, take time to acclimate and learn that. But he's very quick to pick up schemes, very smart player, very intelligent in zone and really, really easy mover and man can match guys. So I love what he provides from that athletic and intelligent standpoint. Uh, for me personally, he's a little below Stingley and Gardner. And another name that I'll throw out there is Clemson's Andrew Booth. I know he's slipping a little bit, but I'm a very big fan of his game as well. And I think he's one of the best corners in this class. I think you look at the tape. Um, he's very good at making plays on the ball, high end ball skills and, and vertical leaping ability. But on the ground, too, a very twitchy athlete. The corrective twitch that he has to stick to receivers is, I think, the best in the class. Very fluid, really good closing speed, breaking on balls. And he's elite in run support, coming downhill, being physical, laying the wood, making those tackles in open space. Andrew Booth is very good at that. So I look at all these corners. They all provide a little different disciplines. But, you know, if you're the Eagles, you have a lot of options at 18. If you pick a guy at 15, uh, there's a lot of different scenarios that could play out. And the corner class is strong up top. And if you're the Eagles, needing a guy on the boundary opposite uh, Darius Slay, it's a great position to be in. 
Ian, uh, you've never been on the show with us before, so you'll know this for the next time when you come on. Jody McDonald likes to ask hypothetical questions. <laughs> I like your hypothetical mock in that you've got uh, Kyle Hamilton going to the Eagles at 15. So we're dropping down to 18. Hypothetically, if all of the wide receivers in this year's draft are available, which we don't think is actually going to happen, but for the sake of conversation here, that's the case. I'm making you Nick Sirianni. And you got that good Nick beard growing on the, the, the growth on the chin. You're actually looking like the Eagles coach a little bit here. Um, you've got your choice of any wide receiver in this draft. Are you drafting just on talent? Are you drafting on fit? You can take any wide receiver. It just so happens they're all there for the picking. Who should Nick Sirianni take? Yeah, so if I'm looking at a wide receiver, for me, I'm looking at a guy who who can do the most things. And with wide receiver, I have a framework that I check guys through. Uh, it's called a three-level threat. So it's really simple. You know, basically, the first step is can you create before the catch? Can you separate with route running, with sudden athleticism, with deception and manipulative routes? Can you create at the catch point with body control, instincts, strong hands, you know, extend beyond your frame and extend for those high passes? And then can you create after the catch? Can you you know, get run after catch yards. Can you make guys miss? Can you kind of slip through contact, right? So that's the framework that I put guys through. And I use that to determine who can do the most for me in my offense. And his frame is a little lighter, but right now my wide receiver one through that framework is Ohio State's Garrett Wilson. I'm a big fan of what he has to offer. A little lighter, again, but a good catch radius uh, before the catch. Chris Olave, his teammate, is a little more efficient right now with his footwork. But I think Wilson has astronomical upside there because you look at how he moves. He is very sudden, very twitchy, uh, really, really good throttle control, ability to accelerate and decelerate on a dime, right? And then at the same time, there were times when, again, he can be more refined, but he was experimenting a lot as a route runner in college. You see times where he's literally trying as best as he can to sneak into that DB's blind spot, manipulate them, get them to turn up field and think he's that he's running that that go route and then cut back inside. Very manipulative route runner who's always on the attack in that phase. And I love that attacking space, trying to find open lanes at the catch point. Great instincts can contort very easily. Body control, ball tracking ability. Uh, he has a few focus drops again, but I do think he has good hand technique. So I think you can coach that out of him. And then after the catch as well. Very slippery route runner. He can make guys miss. He's very active in that phase. Again, attacking space. That attacking mindset for me is really what seals the deal for Garrett Wilson. Like Devontae Smith, a little bit leaner, but I think he's more wiry. He's not fragile. He can withstand contact. He can get through guys. So I love Wilson in that sense. A few others that I really like, Jamison Williams. Although, you know, the immediate utility is the issue with him. If he's not going to be ready right away, are you willing to take him? I think the speed element alone makes it a pressing argument. But I also think he can be a complete receiver on top of that speed with his throttle control, body control. Uh, and then again, he has the ability to decelerate and accelerate. We saw, I think it was in the uh, national or the SEC championship where he had that stop and go where he just, you know, chopped his feet real quick and then exploded up field and no one could catch him. So he has that special ability as well. Drake London is another one that I really like. Now, he's a little more of a size guy. If you're looking for size to complement uh, Devontae Smith, 6'4", 219. Very good contested threat, but I also think beyond that, he has pretty good agility in space, efficient route runner. Again, got some savvy to him in the short ranges, and he's a physical guy too. He finishes with physicality. I love having that mindset of wide receiver. So those are a few of the first names that come to mind. Obviously a very deep class, and if you don't get a guy at 15 or 18, you can get one in round two or three that's going to provide value. But if I'm Nick Sirianni, if I'm making the call, I would probably go with Garrett Wilson first. 
Uh, at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. Follow Ian on Twitter. Uh, read him at ProFootballNetwork.com. Last one from me, Ian. You know where it's going. The punter. How high is Matt Areza going to go in this draft? And let's face it, in the modern NFL, people go for it on fourth down more than ever. Punters are probably used less than ever. But this is the best punter we've seen in a very, very long time. When is somebody going to bite on, on, on Matt Areza? I love that question. My my fellow draft analyst at PFN, Ali Hodgkinson, is a for-the-brand advocate when it comes to kickers <laughs> and punters. So he'll love that we're talking about Matt Areza right now. That's his guy. But in all seriousness, seriousness he did a great interview on Areza and you know about his motivation, his desire to be one of the best punters. And you know, he's a great kid with a lot of talent. You know, I look at the leg. I think that's where you got to start. I mean, this guy, if you're pinned deep, he can flip the field for you pretty easily. I think the hang time was one of the biggest concerns from him in college, not always getting the proper loft on that to allow gunners to get downfield in a proper position. So that's something he can continue to work on. Uh, but I do think, like you said, one of the most talented punters. Me personally, I'm never a huge fan of picking punters too early. I think the boundary for me would be round five at the earliest, just because, you know, comparative to other positions on offense and defense doesn't quite provide the same value. Still valuable for sure, but I'd rather take a dart throw on a high upside guy at a more valuable position. That said, if it's round five, round six, I'd probably take him in that range at the earliest. And if he gets to round seven as well, that's when you, you know, consider maybe trading a couple of day three picks up and, and getting that guy who can provide very good special teams utility. Late day three is where I would start with that. But at the same time, you know, the talent is one of those things where if you if he reaches his max potential and really maximizes that hang time, uh, he can, you know, get it in the coffin corner consistently, can be a very good asset for you in that special teams phase. So round five, probably the earliest, but I do really like the player. We use the word mock a lot. I'm going to use it in a different way. Um, the Oakland Raiders were mocked when they took Sebastian Janikowski in the first round in the NFL draft. I was in the felt farm at Madison Square Garden that day. And I remember who's in the odds <laughs> and the boots. What a, a kicker. You can't take a kicker in the first round. Sebastian Janikowski was a meritorious first round pick. And I'm telling you, this kid is going to be a third round pick and nobody is going to boo or ooh or not. Yes, I might. I Some are going to boo. Some are going to boo. Yeah, that's boo. true. You, you, depending on the team, yeah. If it's the Jets, oh, my God, it could get ugly. Um, but, oh, that's right. It's not New York anymore. Where is this year's draft? Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. Okay, so it's the Raiders. No, the Raider fans would like it yeah. because Jankowski was that good. And Ray uh, Guy back in the day. Exactly right. That's the perfect team for him to land is with the Raiders in Vegas. Uh, Ian, great job. We appreciate you coming on board. You gave us some real great insight, and we can tell that you know your stuff by the way you back your opinions. Thank you much for doing so. We'll probably try and get you on again after the draft for some real good draft review. Thanks, buddy. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Ian Cummings of uh, the Pro Football Network. Man, he's you can just tell he sounds like a scout. He sounds yeah, like he knows sitting, what he's talking about. Sitting yeah. down with an NFL scout describing players' strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and uh, I, I I think I learned some stuff with them there. I hope you guys did too. All right, John McMullen, Jordan McDonald, Mac and Mac guys coming back to put a ball in the show.
imagine for a moment that you went to work today and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian in my heart. I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Mangum Act Guys, welcome to Glow on the show here on Birds 365. I just double checked. The Philadelphia Eagles, uh, excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders do not have a pick uh. between 101 and 124. If the Raiders are the team that's going to take them, and it makes the most sense from just a narrative perspective, they do not have a pick between the Eagles' two picks in round three and round four. You know, I've said today, I think they might have to take the pick in round three, because if you wait for round four, then somebody jumps up and says, let's get the best special teams guy that's been in the draft for 20 years. Let's take a putter. But it won't be the Raiders, because the Raiders aren't between the Eagles' two picks. So maybe they can wait till round number four. I was going to beat the drum for round number three. Well, you know, I'd like to ask the question, because I like the kid. I think it's an interesting uh, pick to see where he's going to go, but I don't think it's going to be the Eagles taking him. Um, they need a punter, and they they're they're going to pick up a punter at some point, most likely undrafted. But um, they just go for it too much on fourth down, so they're they're going to be in that mode of you know he's not going to be out there that much. Um, and and if you're going if you're going for it as much as the Eagles do. It becomes less valuable, and they're obsessed with value. I talk about it. They're obsessed with value. Right, but as as you correctly state, the Eagles were aggressive, and this is no new Eagle phenomenon with Nick Ceriani. They did the same thing with Doug Peterson. Yeah. Doug was very aggressive on going to four for fourth down. I was reading 
our buddy Ruben Frank's latest uh, Rube observations on NBC Sports. I broke down some of the Eagles' uh, statistical rankings. Why are they good on the defensive yards given up per game, but not as good at the points given up per game because field position? And he attributed most of the field position to the fact that bad special teams, bad special teams. Well, part of it was, yeah, when you don't get it on fourth down either, you're also giving the team in good field position a chance to go down the field. A couple of first down, boom, you're already in field goal range, if not going all the way in for a touchdown. So I think it's a combination of the two. Um, But I'll I'll look at the special teams after and say, you could use having the best punter in the league. That's two two guys I want this year, John, for a very specific reason. And maybe this is really old school, but I'll stand by it. I think Kyle Hamilton at some point during his year, career, for a year, maybe multiple years, could be the best safety in the game. I am putting that out there as a possibility. At a slightly lesser important position, I certainly believe Matt Areza can be the best punter in the game. If I can get my hands on the best player at a position for a minimum of one year in his career, how many guys can you say that about in this year's draft? That you think they can become the best player at their position for at least one year in the draft? Give me another guy who fills that uh, potential It's a good point, Jody. It's a good point. You know I'm with you on Kyle Hamilton, and I'm certainly certainly with you on Matt Areza. From punter, you know, they view it as a luxury. But you bring up, you know, at what point you look at what you just said and how special teams affected your team last year and say, oh, well, we better – we better Upgrade. repair this part of the team. And if that's old school thinking, so be it. Yeah, I'm with you with Kyle Hamilton. I think he's the best player in the draft. I've been saying it since day one. I'm going to say it on the draft. He'll probably fall to the second round. I'm still going to say it. Um, you know, if people are blaming it on four, five, nine, and Ian brought up a good point with Justin Simmons running a four, six, one. I mean, learn from your mistakes. Right. That might be the best safety in football. Learn from your mistakes. Too often people in this league don't learn from their mistakes. And the Eagles should learn from their special teams' mistakes last year. And maybe it starts with a punter. But I wouldn't bet on it is all I'm saying. No, I don't think we've got any mistakes to learn from today because we got Martin Frank up, who is great, like he always is. And we got Ian Cummings up, who I've never had on before, and he was great too. So no mistake learning from us today. Just a good show out of you, McMullen. Very good job. Oh, good. So like it, share, subscribe. And do so right here on Birds 365, where we'll be back in... Two and two. two and two. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. (laughs) 
Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro, easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.